Awesome. Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome to Author News Weekly. We are four authors overthinking the news so you can use your brain time to get back to writing your books. I'm Roland Denzel, the indestructible author. And around here, let's start with, let's go start up with the wisecracking Nick Thacker. I assumed you were going to say Jim. Yeah, no, I'm very wise. I'm very cracky as well. And I'm here to crack wise. Excellent. I've prepared many cracks for the day. Jim, I'm Jim. Yeah, I'm Jim Heskett. I'm an author and I'm here to give you the straight dope. You need the dope. Solid. Straight dope. (laughs) And then we have Pippa. I have no idea how to make an intro to myself after this. (laughs) I'm Pippa. I write sci-fi and fantasy. (laughs) Would you like to be the voice of reason this week? Uh, It's not my best look, but I'll try. Okay. All right. You can turn down the I lights. I try it in D and I can try it here. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyhow, I got a couple of good news stories this week. I wanted to start off with one that is both a little bit lighthearted, but also very controversial. I don't know if it's controversial to readers so much, but authors are split on this thing, and it's prologues. We've all read good prologues. We've all read prologues that shouldn't have existed. We've all read prologues that are bad, that didn't fit. And this article, The Seven Deadly Sins of Prologues, talks about some of the things that can ruin a prologue and therefore ruin a book. And But I wanted to get your take. What do you all think? How do you all feel about prologues? And do you write them? I ask them sometimes. It depends on the story. That's very reasonable. It's very reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't generally write prologues. There's that advice that's been going around forever that says prologues are bad, don't write them. And it's easy to discount that advice because there's so many good books that have prologues. But I think in this case, it's more this the spirit of the law than the letter of the law. It's not that whether or not you call your first chapter a prologue. Like if in the first Harry Potter book, the first chapter in the first book is the only chapter that's not from Harry's point of view. So it's like a prologue. Because it takes place before he's born with other characters. Harry's not even in it. But it's called chapter one in the book, probably because somebody told J.K. Rowling, hey, don't write a prologue. Just call your prologue a chapter one and then they'll like it. And in this case, so that's like the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law is don't start your story with something boring that doesn't have anything to do with anything. If your prologue is exciting, if it ties into the plot, if it's relevant... All that stuff, I'm in favor of it. But if like, you're writing a story that took place hundreds of years before, featuring different characters that has nothing to do with anything, then when you get to the end of the prologue, the reader's going to go, why did I read that? And why is this next chapter about a different group of characters? It's like you're starting off your story with a big ask of the reader. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's why they say don't write prologues. Hmm. Go to Nick. I love prologues a little bit too much. I was trying to, so I don't have it queued up, but there's a good friend of mine, Ernie Dempsey had, I probably just outed him. He's not, but no one's supposed to know, but he, he has a YouTube channel, but it's not under his name, but it's where he read. it's, it's called like bad narration. 
where he like poorly reads somebody's book and can't help but comment on it as he's reading it. As if he's, so he'd be like, oh my God, they actually wrote that shit. Okay. Anyway, keep going. And I didn't know it was him when I first found my book, The Enigma Strain, read by <laughs> Bad Narration Channel. And so I'm like, what the, what the hell is this? So I clicked it and started playing it. Now, The Enigma Strain, to be fair, was written many moons ago. It was the third piece of fiction I had ever written in my life. So I think I, I deserve a little bit of grace for being new at the game. But there are three prologues. What? <laughs> or to be clear, it's one prologue split into basically three different chapters. It's, it's like those story. people who have a PS and a PPS. Yeah, there's PPS. a lot of prescripts. Like the end of the Hobbit movie. The prescripts. Yeah. Or the, the Lord yeah. of the Rings. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. The, Hobbit movie. The, the book read even more. So I have, I've often considered going back and just getting rid of them and just shuffling them down into a summed up version and keeping the prologue because there is some backstory in there. Now that in this article, it says the prologue virtue number two. Prologues can be used if there's a critical element in the backstory relevant to the plot. And there is in my prologues, um, but it, I just feel like they're too long. But at this point, it's like a joke. So I'm just going to keep them in until I die. And then my biographer will deal with it at that point. It was pretty funny. I was listening to Ernie read it, not knowing it was him. And he was like, holy shit, this thing has three prologues? Because <laughs> he started reading and he goes, prologue. And he starts reading and then he gets to the end of that chapter and turns the page and he goes, Pro- wait, another prologue. Okay, so he just keeps reading and then it gets to the end of that one and he goes, prologue. How many prologues are in this stupid book? <laughs> it was really funny. And then I recognized the voice. I was like, oh shit, it's Ernie. So call out to Ernie Dempsey there, folks. If you've been bamboozled by the bad audiobook narrator on YouTube, I've outed him officially. That's terrible. I think the big question here is to consider is, does the prologue stop your reader from reading and either return the book or never buy it if they've looked at the sample? Because in like the today's day and age, most books are bought online. So if you were going to buy this in a bookstore, you would say, oh, it's a prologue, but you might, but somebody might, you might flip through, well, how long is this prologue? Flip through to chapter one and kind of, you get a better feel of it. But sometimes prologues are so long that you never get to the actual book in, in the sample. So that can be challenged. You no, know, I'm having a lot of trouble with the readers skip the prologue thing with like, you should, normally I'm very pragmatic about like, you should do things that help people read your book. But when it's like, the point is to help people not read a thing. This reader doesn't want to read your book. Like, I, then why am I structuring it for them? I feel like it could, in some sense, it. there are just going to be people who skip prologues because it says prologue on it. Not knowing that sometimes we just name chapter the prologue chapter one, like Jim was talking about. I think, though, a prologue should be something that if you took it out, the book would stand up but you're adding it in for flavor or color or some kind of commentary on what happens later in the plot. And it adds to the overall story. So it's, it's a little tricky because I don't generally feel like you should add stuff in just for the sake of adding stuff in the scope of a book. I think you should cut things as, as often as possible, tighten things up, make it really flow quickly and smoothly. But if you have a quick snappy prologue that gives you a little bit extra, it's like a, it's like candy before you even read the book. Yeah. I think it's also certain genres are more, they expect prologues, like epic fantasy. I think it's very common to have prologues there. I don't know that romance, like rom-coms, things like that have a lot of prologues in them. So like you might sort of, 
No. Yeah, it's just um, weird to, me to, to say there's certain people that assume things about your book based on the chapter title. So they just don't read those chapters and you should make sure that you cater to those people. And you're like, I just pick up the book and start reading it. Like it's a book. That's why you're here. That's the, the express thing you're here for. Yeah. And on the genre part too, Roland, like I think in my action adventure thread, like there's, I wouldn't say an expectation, but it's very common to have a prologue that is set in a different time to set up, which is what I did in the Enigma Strain as well, to basically set up like, okay, cool, they're going to find something or lose some treasure, and here's how it happened, but the rest of the book happens in present time. Or like the baddies setting up their terrible... Yeah, exactly. But if that's the case, yeah, I mean, I'd probably call that a prologue because I don't want people to think the baddie is the main character. I want to introduce mm. the protagonist, but this is a personal thing. I want to introduce the protagonist in chapter one or two. I don't want to introduce the bad guy first. So if I do have an opening scene that's a bad guy, I might make that a prologue. Hmm. There's always a balance that we take between what we want in our book and what we what our reader wants in our book and how much we're willing to compromise a little bit in order to sell more books. So like we might like as to Pippa's point, like why should we have to change? We don't have to change, but we just have to realize that if we don't change or if we do certain things we may alienate a certain percentage of our our readers yeah and that might be okay i'm very willing to change to have people read more the idea of changing so that people can read less is where the sticking point well i don't understand why would they read less because they just straight up skip the prologue and well, so the solution, like, if 20% of people skip prologues, but that's overall across all genres. So we don't know like your genre, maybe yeah. like, next genre, maybe only 1% skips the prologue. 20% 20 of all readers just totally skip Nick Thacker books completely <laughs> is actually how it works in my genre. Yeah. Just 20%? 80% of readers? I am. Yeah. No wonder you're rich. Never mind you. Many Let's just books. do everything Nick does. Like, you can't smell it, but my office does smell of rich mahogany. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Is it a wax melt? Yes. It's, it's an incense. Yes. I think we'll leave you. Th- I'm going to leave this. Pe- people get mad at me when I say this, but I think the one thing that is a positive, I believe was a positive of the gatekeeping that we saw with traditional publishing is that there were people that would just say, would just be honest with them and say, we have a stake. We're either the publisher or I'm the editor, the managing editor, the acquiring editor, and we have a stake in this book. And we think the prologue is not serving your book, or we think that a prologue would serve your book. So there was somebody who has experience with like hundreds or thousands of books and statistics that would look at it and say, hey, let's change this around a little bit and give the author either advice or actually maybe sometimes draw the line. So indie authors don't have that, but it's just something to consider that when you make your decisions going forward. Does this prologue serve your book and your reader and therefore you? Oh, and definitely something I seek out, either with beta readers or with an editor. Just to have someone be like, I know that you really like this scene, but it needs to go away now. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, we've overthought this one quite a bit. Let's go on to the next, which is jumping into one of the most popular things these days to talk about in the author community is TikTok or book talk, as the kids today like to call it. <laughs> and I thought this was interesting because we all know we've seen, I've actually been to Barnes and Noble and I've seen that they have a TikTok table or book talk table. It's cool that the social media is directly like influencing sales of these books. But in this case, this article called how TikTok is changing book cover designs, talks about how book covers tend to seem to be changing based on the influence of TikTok. Have you noticed anything? What do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? What have you noticed? Let's start with Nick this time. I don't do TikTok and I never will. I think it's a problem. And I think that problem is going to blow up in America's face here pretty soon. So we'll see. And then covers won't change anymore. So we're good. Yeah. If they're changing covers for the better, if they're getting authors to sell more copies, that's, okay, that's great. But I can't, I don't know. I'm not on TikTok and I never, never will be. And I don't think you should be either, reader, listener, whoever you are. Security concern. I think before TikTok, I think there was a similar claims about Instagram. Sure. So bookstagram, bookstagrammers. Yeah. Changing yeah. Instagram covers. But Instagram I don't was think never it, owned by an authoritarian dictatorship. That's for a different podcast, Nick. Right now we're talking about the influence on oh, books. No. More no, no. than... Wait, now. It's on like Donkey Kong. Now it's American yeah. News Weekly. On like Hong Kong. <laughs> then it would be American with an M. Yeah, I don't think... Obviously, there's privacy concerns with any app and anyone using social media has to know that their data is getting bought and sold by more than most. many different capitalistic entities, good or better or worse. But this particular entity is not one I want to be involved with in any way. Okay. Yeah. Right. Aside from that, I would just say like, there's always been trends that were, I'm sure it was whoever was one of the biggest voices in the coffee shop discussions of, for people that were picking covers in New York and then Instagram and then a whole bunch of people making a buzz about one particular book cover being beautiful and someone hearing about it. So it's like, this is just the latest iteration of what is affecting book covers. Because they've always yeah. been going for stuff that pops. They just now have a good way to find a yeah. metric. Like they can just search a hashtag for beautiful book cover, or whatever the thing is. So Jim, you look pent up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've seen so many bookish social media apps fail. When I say so many, all of them. Um, <laughs> and there's several that I've used and I've tried to use. And so I'm consumers have a choice out there of which apps you want to give your personal data to. And at least in this one, it encourages reading. So I approve of that. I don't use TikTok either for basically the same reasons as Nick, but I am glad to see that there is a bookish section and because we're not going to get a bookish social media app. It's not going to happen. There's not enough of us to make it a legitimate money-making business that anyone is going to actually do. But if we get a chunk of mm -hmm. a social yeah. media app, I'm happy with that because it doesn't seem that there's like a bookish place on Facebook. There's a billion gr groups about books, but there's no yeah. movement or place in Facebook to focus on that. So book talk in general, I approve of it. Yeah. Are any of your genres heavily influenced by or seen any, any big hits or bestsellers from book talk? No, that was, a, that's another, that's a good 
thing to mention too. I think I, I have the luxury of not having, not getting, not needing to pay attention to TikTok because generally speaking, action adventure thrillers don't exist on BookTok. I'd have to go more into like women's contemporary fiction or women's thrillers. Those do really well in the thriller. Fantasy is great. I know, but but you're talking about your long-term goals, not your your current genre. (laughs) These are your long-term goals. Yeah, no, I'm just saying if I were to, if thrillers on BookTok are pretty much women's thrillers. Oh, I see. Yeah, Yeah, fantasy does well. Sci-fi does well. Obviously, those are, that's all true. But I'm saying like in my genre, I have the luxury of not needing to pay attention to BookTok. Because right now there just isn't a real big men's adventure thriller, or action adventure thriller, whatever you want to call it, vein. But that may not be true for authors who are writing contemporary Suzanne Collins type stuff. It might, it, I don't know. It might make sense to sell your soul to China. It's worked out well for certain some people. <laughs> yeah, it just generally with any sort of book talk type thing. It's, ah, this seems like a lot of effort to learn an algorithm that might or might not be useful for any particular amount of time. And yeah. yeah. Well, if it's any, if it makes you feel any better, there are very few authors that are, di- that are on book talk directly selling their own books. There's as many, it seems like usually it's somebody, it's a book talker or like a, like one of the people who's there reviewing books, things like that, that are the ones that are having the most success by promoting other people's books. Do they do affiliate links for that? Is that the thing or is it just... I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I'm nonfiction doesn't do great on on TikTok either, so I haven't even. It hasn't really been on my radar. On my, uh, on my radar, yeah, yeah. Okay. But I think I, I did. It was interesting though. In like the article, it showed a lot of different covers, and I've seen like some of these books from before, and the covers are very colorful, have a lot of, or they're more visually pleasing. So I believe the person can just hold up the book, and. So I think that's the goal. So I think that's the cover changes they're talking about. And I think it's it's carried over from Instagram, but so much more success has happened on BookTok or TikTok. I keep saying BookTok, but that's not the actual thing. That's like the hashtag, right? Yeah. So it's just changing. So maybe there's an advantage to looking at books that are like this and you still have to fit in with the crowd. You have to be the same, but different with our book covers. And still get to the end result by looking at the Amazon top charts. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what's rising to the top? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go on to the next one. And I think it's our, I think it's our last one for the day, right? It's a little bit more, again, it's a controversy. It's, I don't think it should be a controversy because genre of books has a specific purpose, in my opinion. And it's for <laughs> to help readers find the book that they're, that they want to read or the type of book that they want to read. That's what I think genre mm-hmm. should be for. And, but a lot of people have a different take on this. And a lot of people are wrong. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I'm always right. Usually, usually right. Sometimes yeah, I'm correct. You can agree with Roland, everybody, or you can be wrong. It's your choice. Yeah. What do you, how, what's your take on genre? And have you read this article? I've read the article. What's interesting is I now know the context behind why my entire feed last week turned into no fantasy is when <laughs> sci-fi is when yeah. which i hadn't like i enjoyed the tweets i just hadn't known why it had happened i didn't know that either that's pretty funny I uh, saw that <laughs> but like it's just every time this comes up there's counter examples there's all sorts of stuff and it varies by book it's 
Like, there's a lot of people that do crossover genres. They point out Star Wars is... I think most people in sci-fi and fantasy would agree that Star Wars is more fantasy than sci-fi, but it's set in a sci-fi universe, and so there's nothing wrong with being like, it's sci-fi. But if, yeah, so in my take, if bookstores had, like, most bookstores have sci-fi fantasy shelves, right? But if there was a sci-fi shelf and a fantasy shelf, where would Star Wars be? It would definitely be on sci-fi. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. I think so. People who want to read fantasy don't want to read about spaceships. And if you're going to look for Star Wars, you're going to look. But they're not about spaceships. It has spaceships. It's a story. It's a a magical religious story that happens to be said. What's been interesting, though. scientific at all. Maybe the true joy of Star Wars is the friends we make along the way. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can make a case that Star Wars is a Christmas story. Oh, is that not what we're talking about today? Okay, sorry. I thought we are getting to the diary. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> when in the year do you watch well, Die yeah. Hard? So I agree with the concept. Like, I think most people would categorize Star Wars as sci-fi. It feels sci-fi. But I think, and maybe maybe this is because I've developed my own definition of it that doesn't uh, adhere to these rules. But I feel like it, by definition, is fantasy. So if I was if I owned a bookstore which thankfully I do not, I would put it in sci-fi because that's where most people would look for it. Yeah. But I think I would make the case that it is fantasy. Of course. What do you mean? Of course though. You're very wise. I know that, but moving on past how wise I am. Jim would disagree. So let's let him does. I've, deep, I was, deep breath. I was just thinking about whether actually, Star Wars, I actually, I was just thinking about whether Star Wars is more fantasy or sci-fi. And I thought about Dune because in the article, it says that the chosen one trope is a fantasy trope and that sci-fi is about all the laws apply to everyone equally, but fantasy, there's usually the laws don't apply equally, or there's a chosen one who's made of destiny. And I was like, then what about Paul and Dune? Because that's definitely a sci-fi story, but it's a chosen one story. Paul is the chosen Mm -hmm. one. And so I'm not sure. Like the, you know, the Matrix. Yeah, the Matrix is a chosen one story set in a sci-fi world. There was a couple of years ago, me and Nick and Kevin Tumlinson recorded a thing for one of the hundreds of projects Nick and I've started that we didn't finish, where and we came up with this analogy of scales for genres, where every trope is a little is a rock, and you put it on a certain part of the scale and so when you're way down to scale with sci-fi tropes it's a sci-fi novel if you have fantasy tropes but there's but the weight of the scale is largely on the sci-fi side it's a sci-fi novel if you have a romance action if you have an erotic thriller is it more is it more erotica or is it more thriller and whichever which one side has the most trope rocks is the one that leans down and that's the way that i look at it that's very interesting yeah, I would have classified sci-fi, fantasy, and horror completely differently on this as fantasy is we define all three of them are defining humanity. Fantasy is by looking at things that are different than humanity. Sci-fi is by changing aspects of our environment to see what still counts as human, and horror is defining us by what we're afraid of. And so I don't know how that would fit into any of that is so deep. A lot of these, <laughs> a lot of these, a lot of these examples we're talking about now, oh, science fiction is about science, the technology doing, doing all these things. Right. And then fantasy is personal. 
is it's on a personal level. I'm like, no, that's not, I don't think that's true. That's, those are two totally different things. Like you can have science. It was a, such a weird dichotomy. Yeah. The best like, science fiction is very personal because of the yeah. mistakes, like the, the main character. We, we, yeah. So yeah, I think the mechanic of science fiction is science that usually at least loosely holds up to quote unquote real science. Whereas fantasy, the mechanic is magic. Yeah. We're, we we don't have to explain it away other than by saying this that is the rules for the world that I created. Yeah. Spiritual. In, but in, it's in, like, fantasy has to define those rules. Those that, that magic has to do it well. Harry Potter can't just say zappity doopity I win and get out of every scrape because that doesn't make sense. But and science fiction has to do the same thing. We can't just say, and then Mark Watney grew potatoes because that, that doesn't hold up. Like, we, okay, how? This is science fiction. So it, it can't be magic. Like it has to, so we have to know a little bit more. So that's how that's again, that's why I call Star Wars fantasy because they've defined the rules of the world and I believe they've done it well. I believe George Lucas did a good job at it, but it, he didn't use science as the mechanic, he used magic. And it's a science flavored magic, sure, but it's still magic. He doesn't talk about how how they reach light speed and beyond. He doesn't talk about how giant worms can exist in gravity that's very similar to Earth. So it's Dune is the same thing. I'd call Dune fantasy all day long. Yeah, I think it's, I think Jim looks like he has something to say, but I just wanted to say like, I, I in my take, it's like, there's like a science fiction setting, which Star Wars is like a science fiction setting, but there's mm. fantastical. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And yeah, you know, and like, I always go back to the shelf, which shelf would I, like if a reader came in, would they look through, if they're looking through like the Harry Potters and the Lord of the Rings, and then they got to Star Wars, would they go, what, that's not what I'm looking for at all. That's like, actually been, so sci-fi, I feel as a genre in terms of reader expectations is pretty much entirely defined by setting. You'll read through sci-fi books and be like, this is actually a mystery, or this is a romance, or this is a, but it's got spaceships, so we put it in the sci-fi so there's a lot of variation. I think the fantasy genre is too broad. It's because it's like people have fantasy, magical realism. They count as fantasy. They count epic fantasy. There's there's things that are just like us. There's urban fantasy that's in fantasy. But it's like there's it's too broad. So like you, people say, I'm writing this thing. I have a little bit of magic. And it's clearly it's fantasy. Yeah, but it's Star Wars. So no one's going to be looking for it in the fantasy section. Maybe everyone's wrong. And I'm right. And maybe. Maybe. But we should, we should. That's the, be the beauty of Amazon is there's, you can have all these different things. So like you can find Star Wars probably in fantasy and in science fiction. So if you're looking for a book that looking for a book there, you could probably find it in both. So the shelves are quote unquote are unlimited. Jim, you had something deep to say, I think. Uh, I don't know if this is deep, but I think we should call sci-fi and fantasy categories and not genres. Like the way people call YA a genre and it's not. YA no. is a category of fiction that encompasses genres about people under the age of 19. Yeah, so I think thriller could be considered a category too, right? Yeah. As a genre, and you and I were talking about this back when we had one of those million projects we didn't get off the ground, but the, our, I believe you agreed that our definition of thriller was like you figure out who the bad guy is early on and the protagonist is trying to prevent bad guy from doing bad guy stuff. A mystery is where you find out the bad guy at the end. Within yeah. that, you can have science fiction as a setting. You can have magical realism, urban fantasy. You can categorize any of those things as a thriller 
solely by where the antagonist shows up. And that even the situational irony or the dramatic irony of the reader knowing ahead of time who the bad guy is. And within that, you can allow for twists at the end. Oh, it's not actually the bad guy we thought. But generally speaking, the protagonist is trying to prevent this person or thing from happening for doing or doing something, even if the twist at the end changes. That's still a thriller because we know up front. Yeah. Whereas mystery mm-hmm. is much more like who done it, gen- broadly speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you the can't whole- make that a, a genre because I can't pick up a th- something categorized as a thriller if in, by that definition, and the, there's not a specific genre there. Not, am I going to get a Western? Am I going to get a set in space? <laughs> is this historical? I don't want to, maybe I don't want to read about a pirate ship back in the 1700s. None of that would yeah. be defined by the term thriller. Yeah. Even though it, it could be a thriller plot yeah. in an urban fantasy setting or in a Western setting. Yeah. Or it's a biography like I'm working on now. Thriller. Yeah. To point out at this yeah. point that just any classification system you have is going to get squiggly around the edges like you're never going to find a classification system that will work yeah Uh, yeah i'm leaving you with this like mary shelley wrote frankenstein which technically would be science fiction right she used science of the day or proposed science of the day to create a monster in the book but you're not going to find it in the science fiction section you're going to find it in the horror section because that's where we look at genres versus categories and the genre expectations of the reader. That's like the scales Jim was talking about. It, it weighs yeah. more toward horror. So we do that. Yeah. So like all things, if you want to sell books, you should really think about your reader. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Thank you all for joining me for author news weekly this week. And we'll be back next week. Where can we find you guys? Y'all. You can find me on the internet. I'm in Colorado. <laughs> I'm in Colorado too. I'm in my basement in Colorado. I'm one of the cursed people on Twitter. And I'm in Minnesota, so no one's going to come find me during the winter. I'm safe. <sighs> You're safe. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week. Bye.